Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Are you starting us off? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know if you were waiting. You looked like you were waiting to record. <laughs> I thought you were looking for something on your computer. No, I'm with you. I mean, you're you're you're, you're a handsome man, and I can look at you for a while, but it was just getting a little awkward. <laughs> here this we are. The, yet this again. is the cut, this is the cut reel right here. <laughs> Oh man, we're having too much fun. Replant boot camp, back at it again. And I don't even know what stage of COVID quarantine we are in in the state of Florida. It's getting insane here. And I th- you know, some people are going back to lockdown. I think Florida is full steam ahead. Let's open it up and get everybody infected and get over it, right? As of three minutes ago, when we were recording this, um, technically, in the city of Jacksonville, masks are now fully mandated. Whoa. How about that? Even for the alligators? Even for the alligators, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Fully mandated. So I'm going to be very curious to see how that goes. I don't know if you've seen these videos of people in South Florida yelling at their city council because of masks. Yes. Um, Floridians really epitomize the American individualism, freedomness, and are very much, from my experience, not okay being told what to do and what to wear. That's amazing because isn't Florida like a melting pot of people all across the United States? So the actual Floridian who's been grown up and raised there, aren't they in the minority, Jimbo? Am I not, am I do, is my understanding of Florida accurate or not accurate? Yeah, to me it is. So I'm not a native Floridian. It seems like you either grew up here or you came here one year for spring break, made some bad decisions and got stuck. So you basically stopped maturing at about uh, 22, <laughs> 21. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there's been a very much a push to uh, to not have to wear masks, to not social distance, but uh, numbers are rising. Maybe that's because of testing, whatever, but it's definitely getting interesting to see how that's going to play out. I have seen people uh, that are in stores shopping, not wearing a mask, and then this is on a news report, somebody asked them to wear a mask. And then they just start throwing stuff out of their grocery cart because they're so angry about it and just screaming and cussing and fighting. And it's crazy, man. It's probably one of my church members. <laughs> so when the mandate came out today, it was announced today that it would go into effect today. So it was announced about four hours ago that as of 5 p.m. today, that it would be a mandate. And so one of our elders text me in a group text with some other elders and said, that'll make Sunday very interesting. Well, I, in the sovereignty of the Lord, have two Sundays off for vacation. And so I just simply replied back, you guys have fun with that. Yes. Oh my gosh. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's everywhere, right? Anytime you're out in public outside of your home or around somebody else, you, you have to have a mask on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and our church has had about 60% of our regular attendants have come back to our live services and out of that 60%, maybe three people are wearing a mask. Okay. So it will be very interesting to see how our church responds to that. Mm. I think tying into our question for today, we've got a, a, a listener question. Been a minute since we've had a good oh, awesome. listener question turned in. And so talking about the impact of COVID to churches, Gary Hinkle emailed us. Uh, and he said, like so many other churches during this time, we have started the process of meeting back together again. Our congregation has seven to 11 members at this time and feel the need to just meet in my home on Sunday mornings. They have decided as a whole to give up our building uh, that we are meeting in as well. The kicker here is that we don't own or rent the building. It is owned by the group that owns the cemetery next to it. I'd love to hear that whole story. Uh, I have not talked to our associational missional strategists yet about this decision. They want to do this for multiple reasons, finances, location, past stigmas that the church is tied to it are the main ones. There have even been talk of possible name change as well. I personally am trying to remain neutral factor in this. I do, however, feel that with us making a move closer to our town, we could possibly see some potential growth. Any advice or recommendations about this would be greatly welcome. Your brother in arms, Pastor Gary Hinkle. Man, big question. A lot of churches, this is not the first church I've heard that is deciding to uh, close down their facility or stop meeting. Like you think about all the churches that are in schools and, yeah. and that they, they're trying to figure it out too. Yeah. They're trying to move into churches, community centers, et cetera. So it's going to be an interesting time. So that's an interesting one. Um, so a church that you're meeting in that is not owned by the church, but is owned by the organization that runs the cemetery. So probably sometime a while back, the church maybe gave its facilities or donated it to the uh, cemetery, or perhaps this church that uh, Pastor Gary's uh, leading was a church that moved into a closed church. Who knows? We don't, we don't know that, but, um, but it sounds like you got a group of people that have, uh, I didn't say they officially voted, did it? So it's kind of like a straw poll or a consensus kind of a thing. Yeah. It seems to be the consensus right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but Hey, this stood out to me. I'd love to hear your, we'll, we'll jump into the discussion that is the, making that decision. But, um, as a pastor, do you feel an obligation to remain neutral on an issue facing the entire church? I have at times felt like it was important for me to stay neutral uh, when an issue was divisive and I felt it important that we hear from the congregation because I don't know about you, but even in, this is a whole nother issue, but even in Sunday school or a small group, sometimes I feel hesitant to speak into even a discussion question because it's almost like once I, as the pastor speak on the issue, no one else really wants to, they don't want to speak against the pastor. Or no. they don't. And so when you speak as a pastor, especially if it's a fairly traditional, uh, more established church, there's kind of this mentality that once the pastor speaks, that's kind of, no matter what your governance says, what your bylaws say, 
for a lot of people, once the pastor speaks, it's like, oh, that's the word. And so I have found myself many times holding back and not expressing an opinion, mainly because I didn't want, I didn't want us in the discussion. And I feel like there are people that once I voice my opinion, that discussion is going to be over. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I hear what you're saying in a directional decision like this. It sounds like pastor Gary's leaning towards relocating to closer to town in the efforts to pick up some folks. So I think that's a good perspective to have. And I would wonder if you could facilitate the discussion regarding, you know, even just a simple pros and cons list of, all right, if we moved to my house for a while, first, first of all, this, you were reading this question. Here's a thought I had. What does Pastor Gary's wife think? <laughs> is, how is she, is she okay with them moving 10 to 11 people in her house every single week? Like, I'm assuming she's on board with the idea. Okay, we're going to give him that. We're going to give uh, Pastor's wife a, 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 a nod of uh, confidence there in that. But there, there's going to be a time when that's even going to be, you know, difficult after a while. Uh, you know, having hosted gospel communities in our house on a regular basis for a number of years, my wife just got really tired of, of you know, being the host for that a lot. So, um, but it sounds like processing that out, what are the advantages, what are the disadvantages? And if there's an advantage that, that nods uh, towards or leans towards more missional effectiveness, I could completely see where you, you would want to see the church go that way. Yeah, I actually consulted a church in a very similar direction one time because they had gotten down to about eight to ten members and had a hard time justifying the amount of maintenance that needed to be done on their property uh, and all the things it took to maintain this church property. And when I looked into the church's history, it started as a house church and eventually worked into land and into property and all these things. And so I challenged and encouraged that pastor to consider finding a living room, a house out of some member of the church that was big enough to host everybody. And why not just go back to being a house church for now until you grow to that point? that you need to get back out of that. And when we talk about replanting, in a sense, this is often what we're talking about is going back to how, how and why that church was planted. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you look back at the how and the why, and you build on that, on the church's legacy, maybe there's something in the legacy of that church. And when you have 11 people in a sanctuary that sits, whatever, you know, 50, a hundred, it can feel it can feel like failure sometimes. It's not, and I want to be very clear, it's not failure, but it can feel like failure when you sense the emptiness of a large room. And I think there could be an advantage to the excitement of being in somebody's house and the intimacy that that brings for the group and the cohesiveness. Uh, now, in COVID, their intimacy is not necessarily a win all the time as we're trying to be socially distant. So that's got to be considered as well in your context, making sure that you're wise about that in the midst of this. But I could see myself making a very similar decision. If I'm pastoring a church of seven to 11 people, I likely am not going to want to deal with the financial burden of a facility 
and the maintenance burdens of a facility, if I have the option to figure out how to maneuver into a more strategic location and starting back in the house, I, I would be for that. Yeah, so you almost go back to a core group phase of developing these individuals as missionaries in their neighborhood. And, the, and it's a, probably a really good time to, to shift that way if you can really become focused on how the mission of discipleship and the mission of evangelism looks like, what it looks like in, in this time because of a facility-centric ministry model uh, for an existing church even that owns its facilities is not going to be, uh, you know, it's just going to be different. Um, you know, we opened last week, uh, just last Sunday, and we had about a third of what we normally have. And we had the rest of everybody was online. So we, you know, we had a lot of people online, which was great. But for a season, like where our children's wing is shut down, um, everything's distance. We had some overflow areas that were ready and people were just, you know, we had more than enough seats in our sanctuary. So I could, I can feel that brother uh, in, in terms of what he's experiencing. If he's in a, a facility that seats, let's just say it seats 80 to hundred and he's got 11 folks in there. That's just going to feel enormous. So moving it back, but um, a good way not to look at it as defeat is let's be missional about it. Let's, let's equip these people to be a, a church planting core group again, a relaunch and uh, inform it in, in a particular way. So man, love the question, love the heart behind that. And, and I think one of the things that we're all struggling to to uh, think through this in this season of leadership in the church is how are we going to adapt to all the changes and the shifts that constantly come? Because here you just mentioned one at the beginning. Now you guys have to wear masks. Of course, you know, as you're preaching from the stage, I'm guessing that I, does, have they haven't mandated that or that, that sort of thing for, for you or, I mean, who knows? I mean, they haven't clarified what that would need to look like. So um... Could you preach through a mask? I don't know that I could do that. You got a great voice, man. You could boom right through it. I think. <laughs> I don't know that I could do. It. I, 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 if I, if if it's necessary, I'll I'll do whatever's necessary. Um, as far as yeah, having to respond and react to everything going, I think this is one of one of the good things as we've talked about with COVID, is it's making us rethink. And if you're at a time where some changes may be strategic and necessary for your church. This could be a time to really reconsider some of those things and think back through if you're in a facility that you're renting, is it necessary for us to be renting this facility or is this the right location? Is this the right way for us to go back to things whenever we can? Because if the rest of the world is going to end up anything like Florida, which probably not, it doesn't seem like things are going to, slow down for us here anytime soon with COVID. Mm -mm. So I, I don't see phase three happening for us anytime very soon. And schools are already trying, are already trying to figure out what, what is coming back to school in August look like. And they're talking about modified schedules to lower the population. They're talking about required mask for students and face shields for teachers and, uh, all sorts of things that would dramatically change the the pedagogical setup even of even how you study and how you teach and how you instruct and interact with students and everybody is having to adjust in some pretty significant ways right now and so uh, I would applaud you Pastor Gary for 
seizing this moment, kind of seeing what's going on. Because here's the other thing that I think kind of maybe moving into a house church model for you, if, if that works at this time for your church, might help or something like this, whether it be this or that. Here, here's what this facilitates. John Cotter wrote uh, uh, kind of what is considered maybe the, the Bible on change leadership, leading change, mm-hmm. yep. uh, melting iceberg, all your change leadership, even Christian change leadership books that you read are built on the foundation of what John Cotter wrote out of Harvard. And John Cotter, even after writing some of his stuff, came back and wrote another book called Creating a Sense of Urgency. And Cotter in that book argues that creating a sense of urgency may very well be the most important piece in change leadership. And this is what COVID maybe presents as an opportunity for many congregations as they have to address things like Pastor Gary is having to address. When you move from that and all of a sudden you find yourself in a home and you're trying to think about where you're going to go next and what that's going to look like, it is like the antidote to complacency. Sure. It creates this sense of, hey, we got we to gotta figure this out. We got to do something. And it allows you to cultivate and capitalize on that urgency in order to get the church on mission. And I am convinced complacency is one of the most dangerous cancers in a church and in any organization, which is why Cotter argues that creating a sense of urgency is so important because really that complacency and apathy in your own spiritual life is one of the most dangerous things you can have. Right. And so I think whatever decision your church decides to make pastor Gary, if you can use this as an opportunity to create a sense of urgency and position the church to be on mission and passionately on mission, then that's the win coming out on the other side of this. Absolutely. I think it's great advice. And, and I think along with creating a sense of urgency is uh, giving practical assignments for his people to engage their culture and discern together and pray together. Where's God moving us next? And uh, that could be missiological study. That could be uh, demographic study in terms of, you know, their particular area. And then I think if they could, uh, all join hands together, be a church planting team and replant their congregation in a new location. There'll be a sense of excitement there and uh, and some really good things happen. So I, I appreciate the heart of Pastor Gary's email and particularly that he has a perspective of, hey, this might be a good opportunity to move us closer to, to the town that we want to reach with the gospel. I think that's a great attitude to have. And so Gary, whatever you decide to do with this, our encouragement would be continue to pursue the kingdom, have a kingdom mindset, be missional, create a sense of urgency. Um, it seems like you've got a great heart from what we can see in this email. It's an inc- incredibly complicated and difficult time to lead. And so we'll be praying for you as you lead well. We'd love to hear what happens on the other side of this story. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.